Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Smashbox TV's podcast 399. Terry Miller, the disc golf guy here, alongside Johnny V. One to go. So the big four o <laughs> to like o. quit? <laughs> Are you? Is it four hundred? You're done. You're just gonna finish. That's that's your swan song right there. Four hundred. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a good number to quit on. As good as any. As good as four o one or four o five. If you're sitting here empty, uh, with, well, I won't be in this chair next week. I can promise you that. Thank I will. Goodness. I will already. Different chair? Are you bringing in a different chair? No, I know that I will for sure be in emporia already because these chairs have gone through at least 200 episodes i think we used to have the old wooden chairs for a while yeah yeah these are the cushioned (laughs) oh they are so much nicer let me promise you i've got my own cushion that i pack along here but uh yeah these chairs have been through plenty they've heard plenty for sure so tonight uh welcome all of you guys first and foremost we're glad you're here uh there's been there's been some even conversations and changes that have all taken place in just even the last half an hour. So uh, what we believe, what we're going to have here for you tonight is uh, in just a few moments, we're going to talk a little bit about the MPO action that took place at the 2022 Players Cup that, of course, just concluded a couple days ago. And then we're going to have Elaine King join us. Uh, of course, Elaine King very much in the conversation as she's been. Uh, we want to ask her a whole bunch of questions. We want to also hear everything that she has to say, her explanation, and then also provide some, hopefully, some clarity for the world out there. I, I Does it need it? Does the world need clarity? I'm not sure. I, I, in, in this case, unfortunately, <laughs> they do. And, and I, I'm going to take something that I saw earlier posted today. Someone said, if you're questioning Elaine King's intentions, then you just don't know Elaine. And I, I think that's a fair statement for starters. And secondly, this is a great chance to then get to know Elaine. And uh, we'll talk uh, about what we saw from a perspective this weekend of Elaine's and the rules ca- call and the caddying and the and Kristen Tatarn or child and all of that other stuff. We'll we'll get to all of that, but first uh, we'll talk about what we saw on the MPO side. Then we'll have Elaine. Uh, I in all uh, transparency, I also had reached out to Paige. In fact, I talked to Paige on Sunday, uh, minutes before she got her award for winning, and I just said to her, "Hey, Tuesday night, right?" And she's like, "Yeah." Um, Paige, I think many of you saw probably that she was on featured on the Nick and Matt show last night. I believe Chris Dickerson was on there as well. And um, 
Paige then reached out to me today and her and I had a, a, a quick chat or two back and forth. And she said, uh, you know, no disrespect to you or obviously any of the viewers. She said, I'm just kind of not feeling it. It's It's been a, a challenging day, uh, probably in a lot of regards. I can't imagine some of the additional messages that she's received. And so uh, really just a program change in the last few minutes that Paige. So she sends her regards and is um, saddened that she's not going to be here. But of course, I told her we fully understand. I think we'll probably be able to get her on in the future. She might have another winner too. If she wins. I mean, we only <laughs> <laughs> we only take winners here. Yeah. So, uh, of course, uh, we expect to see her in the winner's circle more this year. And even if she's not in the winner's circle, she knows she's always welcome here. But her own personal well-being and her own, um, yeah, just overall uh, happiness and and uh yeah, all, all those things. That's our, what mean most. And if she's not feeling it, uh, we take no offense to that whatsoever. I want Paige to be where Paige needs to be mentally. So all good with that. So let's quickly talk about what we saw. First major of the year. Obviously, a lot of hype. A first time major. A first time major. Champions Cup. Let me ask quickly, though. Did, did you feel like the play and the course and the payout and everything else, did it live up to the hype of a major? I think it did. I will honestly going into this event. I didn't feel super hyped about it. And it's a lot harder to get me hyped about any event these days when, you know, you're sitting, you have to sit in front of a computer screen and talk to cameras. You're an old curmudgeon now, right? Uh, No, a little less than that, (laughs) but just, it's hard to get hyped when you have to work the event. I'm sure. Um, But once the event started, I really did feel like this is a big, important major. It's at the IDGC. It's on the beloved, wr jackson or hated depending on how you shot um (laughs) it's it really kind of came together for me at the end or really at the beginning of the event to feel like a major and it doesn't have any history it doesn't have any real prestige yet other than we we throw a big m in front of the name but i felt like this the quality of the event was there you know, yeah. t- talking to uh, Robert Leonard, the tournament director, he was he was adamant about how 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 wonderful this event was run, how there was, I, I think, literally maybe one um, provisional that was called, I think mm. the entire weekend, maybe none. Maybe it was no provisionals, which is amazing, considering, again, that's how well that the course was prepped for with all the rain. The course looked mostly in good condition with the exception. I think a whole one had a little lake in it for a, a little bit, but not much you can do about that. I felt that the PDGA and the staff and everyone did a phenomenal job at this course. Yeah. And, and I'll echo that being on site that it was, you know, they really thought ahead and had the course prepped in every possible way that you could. There's different parts on the course, too, that I had found where you didn't necessarily you wouldn't know it if you unless you'd been there before. But there were certainly places that were cleaned up and that extra care was taken into the the grounds. And to know you have two or three, uh, you know, dedicated staff members that are out there just prepping the courses that are the superintendent of the property, making sure the courses are all great and playable uh, and namely for this one, uh, for this particular event, it was awesome to see. And I think it really put our best foot forward in terms of what the IDGC has to offer as one of the three courses. And I think that gets lost because 
when you go there, there's three different courses that you could play. This is of the toughest difficulties. Yeah, this is the by far the toughest, and and is is highly revered. The other ones are also great courses, but this is the one that's obviously been now put on camera the most and is under the biggest spotlight with the best players. But there's two other great courses that are also on the facility, and you have the the Disc Golf Hall of Fame that's there, the Steady Ed Museum, you know, some of those things you heard about through the weekend, but you need to, as they say, pilgrim, uh, pilgrimage to the property. You need to take it all in and consume it. Uh, to go out to one piece of property and know that you could spend one or two days playing three phenomenal courses with a pro shop and everything else, it's uh, it's definitely pretty special. And tomorrow, tomorrow specifically, will be the 15-year anniversary of the International Disc Golf Center's official wow. grand opening, something in which I was physically at, along with yes, you are. Uh, Steady Ed uh, Hedrick's um, uh, wife was there, Farina, uh, along with so many other you know incredible dignitaries of our sport. It was, it was something I, I maybe didn't realize the importance at the time, but as the years have gone on, it's just become that much more ingrained and more valuable uh, that I, I can say that I was there 15 years ago when that first opened. So and before, very cool. Before we have Elaine on, because she'll be she's with us here. Um, we just really want to quickly kind of talk about the MPO coverage or not coverage. I'm sorry, the MPO play um, and, and a phenomenal battle that it was. It, it looked <laughs> going into that final round. I, you kind of had to put your chips on Ricky. A little bit. I, know I mean, that, that course is difficult and anything can happen. Ricky was playing well. He had a two, what, a two stroke lead going into yep. the round. You kind of got to feel the way Ricky's been playing lately that, that he, that he had a leg up, a Raptor leg up on many people. And you know what? Chris Dickerson decides he's going to just birdie a lot <laughs> to win. And, and bogey never. And bogey never. Yeah. He birdied the, uh, Chris Dickerson birdied the last five holes Ricky birdied three of the last five holes. And that was really the difference when it came down to it. Dickerson at 39 under par. Waisaki at 37 under par for second place. Calvin Heimberg, little uh, slow start. He got the well, he got the first two birdies, but then he ended up having a double and a single in there. And that really kind of put him just far enough back where it didn't feel like he could he could catch Dickerson the way Dickerson was playing. And Ricky were battling it. Uh, fourth place. Corey Ellis, who you know, not a lot of people know. If you watched last year uh, Silver Series event, you probably re- uh, remember Corey Ellis, and he's kind of popped up now and again. Phenomenal putter, phenomenal number putter. one putter from C1X last year in the D- yeah. DGPT. Yes, he was, uh, and great player. Under the radar, and I'm going to blame Mo, who's on our board. I'm going to blame Mo for this. Uh, I don't feel like we got a lot of Gannon Burr on that final round, but he came up for the fifth place. Um, so Mo, I'm going to throw you under the bus there. <laughs> um, yeah, Gannon Burr shoots a 13 under par, which you know would have been that course record a Except day er- for a day earlier. Um, Except for one, Paul Macbeth, who ended up shooting a 16 under par at WR Jackson, a phenomenal round, uh, impressive. I would argue, possibly one of the top five rounds, maybe in Paul. Eh. Ma- Maybe in Paul McBeth's eh, storied career. He had four pars. <laughs> um, just based on the difficulty of the course, the tight woodedness. Uh, I know it, it was just under an 1100 rated round, but as we know, the Memorial throws out big, big numbers for their rounds because of the, all the OB. Um, I would be curious if, if you could take 
everybody that was in this event and put them in the Macbeth round, if that changes the round rating based on, because when Paul shot that huge round, we had schlubs like me and you there, mm-hmm. you know, 930, 940 rated. If that would affect the round ratings, if you put a bunch of higher rated players, I don't know. I don't know the formula. I don't know the equation, but either way, Paul Macbeth just, he, it's official. He's scared of live cameras. <laughs> yes, that's obvious. <laughs> when we had him on live, that guy didn't really do much. Someday he'll clutch up and play well. well on. I, I think, it, yeah, he'll clutch up. I think it was the second round. We walked away from him mm-hmm. on hole eight. He was one under par. He goes and birdies the back nine. He gets on the on live coverage on the third round. Really goes in, into the tank. Mm-hmm. Fourth round, we just say, hey, we're not going to follow you, Paul. You're too... You're, you do your thing. And then he <laughs> shoots a 69er. We actually did catch up with him towards the end of the round. Um, and he got... You know, he showed off one or two shots for us. Uh, two eagles on his last five... Out of his last five holes. And two birdies. So congratulations, Paul, on uh, making a nice comeback to get into the top ten. Other people that were in there. Emerson Keith, Matt Oram, uh, Gavin Babcock, who... Not going to lie... As some of the jokes are going around, first of all, hey, guys, it's Matt. <laughs> or no, hey, guys, Matt, <laughs> Matt here. <laughs> um, Gavin Babcock, I- I'm going to start a Stan account for his quads versus Ezra's biceps because those things, when he was doing some of those straddle putts, that guy had some. He doesn't skip leg day. I'll tell you what. He doesn't skip leg day. Uh, so congratulations, Gavin, who I believe was 100% in circle one through I, I I don't want to be the spoiler, but I will be. According to UDisc, I mean, according to UDisc, yes. There's, there's uh, always I, the I happened to share the same restaurant <laughs> with Gavin Babcock that night, along with a bunch of other great individuals. His toe was on the line, and he he admitted he feels like there were two that maybe were mismarked. I don't recall at what point throughout the weekend, but he believes two were mismarked uh, for. Um, can we can we stroke him for that? <laughs> is that, is that uh, mismarking your scorecard? I no, don't know. No. But uh, well, either way, either way, congratulations, of Gavin. Uh, what, what a phenomenal weekend! Really coming out of almost nowhere, except for the Disc Golf Guy channel, which features Bingo. Gavin Babcock from last year, <laughs> <laughs> dropping tomorrow. Uh, it's like it really? he set it up for me. Is yes, really? yes, <laughs> yes. So if you if if you are now a new Gavin Babcock fan, by all means, check out the Disc Golf Guys uh, YouTube tomorrow. Yeah, because you're. Be Thinking like, where is this guy come from? Is there ever been a history on this guy? Clearly, comes from Terry. There is. I have Gavin Babcock (laughs) playing an incredibly difficult course last year, along with Paul McBeth, along with Zach Melton and those types. Uh, Yeah, the coverage starts dropping tomorrow. So you're like, dude, where can I get more Gavin Babcock? Oh, the Disc Golf Guy channel has it. Yeah. Like he set it up. <laughs> I was just waiting. I was waiting. It was like for a circle to, one putt. I was he waiting for him to down. pop off so that there was the perfect time. So everybody, be how like, many Terry? How many rounds you have in the in the in the tank for people that just <laughs> maybe we haven't heard of? Let me hold on. Let me scroll down a little bit. Uh, let's go with a. Uh, Luke Sampson. Oh, I got Luke Sampson coverage. Oh, I <laughs> just do. waiting. I just do. Wait. Um, how about a, uh, some John Willis? John, do you no, have John not Willis yet. coverage? Not yet. <laughs> uh, rounding out our top ten. Uh, Drew Gibson shooting 30 under par. Congratulations to all of our competitors. Some great payout uh, on both sides of the um, the fields. But the MPO, I know the bottom cash, I think. Was it from MPO and FPO? Bottom cash was $1,000. Every single, Every single competitor p- that made it within the cash line, assuming they didn't tie, and there was, was a tie. then given. There was a bottom tie for MPO. They all split 1000 and got 250 apiece. But yes. Point um, is, last cash spot was $1,000. Um, so. other, other big names that maybe had struggled a little bit. 
Uh, Eagle of Afghanistan, 14th. Who fought uh, back hard to get there. He but did. Yep. He fought back hard on, on the third and fourth round. He shot a seven under fourth round, and I forget what he shot for third round. But he moved way up. Uh, lo- looks like his he had some social media stuff out there saying that he's going to uh, skip, I think, DDO. I think he's going to play Jonesboro. And then he's going to skip for a month and have some shoulder work done, is what he said. Okay. So uh, Eric Oakley actually coming out of, I don't say out of nowhere, but coming back onto the tour, playing mm-hmm. well. Um, you, ha- you have to say that's kind of a win for Eric, uh, tied for 19th after not having been on the tour earlier in the season due to a hand issue. Uh, Kevin Jones continues to kind of just not quite make it up to that uh, relevant stage for coverage. He's kind of just hovering right around there. So we're hoping to see Kevin, you know, play, start to play well. I think Kevin, I have to take a look, but for some reason, I think Kevin plays well at Jonesboro. And oh, it's uh, in the name. It's in the name. They call him Kevin Jones. Kevin Jonesboro. That's what they call him. Oh, that's right. Uh, no. I'll have to take a look at that. So congratulations. Uh, you know, everybody, Dave Felberg, honestly. Oh, that's right. I wanted to mention Dave Felberg, who we were fortunate to get on camera shaking Paul McBeth's hand at the end of the round. <laughs> well, you know, every time Paul McBeth has a hot round, David Dave Felberg is, is right there. there. He made That's, that post saying I know. lately, every time he's blown up, uh, it, he's been there watching. Fe- so, I mean, and Felberg will take credit for that. Don't you, don't, don't you worry <laughs> about that. So David Felberg, who obviously is our age in the master's division coming out and shooting, uh, getting into 30th again, having a shooting an eight down final round. Just a good job, Dave, honestly, I yeah. know you, you've kind of been, yeah a little bit behind the scenes here for a while. So, all right, well, we can, if, if we need to, we can circle back. You guys will probably have other questions. We can circle back yeah, uh, to MPO to. action a little bit later. Um, but right now, uh, I think we're going to welcome to the show. We're going to talk a little bit about what we saw on the FPO side, along with some, again, some clarity. Uh, and unfortunately, and I'm going to say this, unfortunately very much has, you know, kind of overshadowed or clouded a little bit of the amazing and stellar performance and play that we've had uh, by Paige Pierce and Kristen Tatar. But it's uh, obviously all part of our growing experience here at the PDGA and with our relatively young sport overall. Uh, Right now, we're going to welcome in five-time world champion and DGN commentator and a whole bunch of hats that she wears, Elaine King. Elaine, I didn't think I'd be seeing and talking to you so soon. <laughs> yeah, you were just here in Milwaukee. Yeah, I just saw John just a couple days ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm leaving again already. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in for a day and I'm back out. It's enough. Elaine, how are you doing? Well, today and yesterday were kind of tough days. Um, a lot of um, negative social media feedback from people who uh, apparently just didn't have the facts straight on what happened. Okay. Well, yeah, I felt like there was Kristen's post yesterday, which, you know, said what it basically said and, and kind of gave a re- very quick summary, more or less just saying, Hey, I'd like to, uh, my daughter is awesome. You know, we had a, a, a situation that just, you know, and she'd handled it like a champ is really what she had said. She, not a lot of details behind that. And a lot of people took that and ran with, either their own details or secondhand details or things like that. When really I felt it was just an appreciation post for her daughter on, on how well she uh, handled the situation. So, yeah. And then from there it was read into, and then eventually uh, Charlie over at uh, Ulta world had then released an article that kind of talks about the, we'll say the elephant in the room, the main conversation here tonight, which is how everything unfolded 
with regard to the uh, Kristen's daughter, Isabel, and the caddy situation and and your involvement with it. So as always, uh, we appreciate you joining us. I, I'm sure there's plenty of people who think this is the last thing that we really want to be talking about. But uh, more than anything, we're very concerned about laying out all the facts and then I feel like it's fair to have a conversation from there as to uh, choices made and whatnot. But it all starts with laying out the actual facts because we've been on the Internet long enough to realize there's plenty of non-facts that are available. So let's let's start with those, which is I think the the easiest ones maybe to start with are what are what are your official positions and and where do various lines get drawn in terms of hats that you wear uh, positions or hats that you wear uh, within the PDGA within the disc golf network and so on and so forth let's start with just laying a few of those out on the line wow okay well um first there's me (laughs) Elaine King the disc golfer five-time world champ with 300 and some wins Playing for a long time, love playing, play in, you know, a variety of different divisions, but I try to play FPO if I, if I can. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that's my main persona. I mean, of course, I, I have a living where I work as a consultant in pharmaceutical manufacturing. So that's another hat that I wear. Um, I am on the PDGA board of directors and as such, you know, I do work on committees and, uh, you know, help develop policy and, you know, support the growth of this amazing sport by contributing to the organizational arm of it. Um, I also am a guest commentator, I guess, on Disc Golf Network. And so, there will be, I think, seven broadcasts total this year where I'll be doing some commentary on the FPO. And then if you want to like get all inclusive, um, I do write for Disc Golfer um, as an associate editor, you know, four issues a year. And that's a, a lovely print magazine. So I'm doing various and sundry things with my time. I don't have a whole lot of free time, but um, really loving, just enjoying being in different parts of disc golf and, you know, all the, the various aspects. And, and then even one more, which is, uh, again, a, uh, maybe a, a sub note or footnote to all of that. In addition to that, in you playing, in your playing career, also a sponsored member of MVP. And I, I only bring that up because within being on the board and with serving in various committees and whatnot, the, the PDGA is, uh, seemingly very adamant about at least disclosing and or announcing or claiming any potential conflicts of interest. Is that a fair way to put it? Oh, that's, it's very important. And in fact, every year each uh, director needs to fill out a conflict of interest uh, disclosure form. And those are available on the PDGA website and you can find out what potential conflicts of interest, you know, do exist. And if, any subject comes up where you could potentially have a bias, you first have to disclose, well, hold on, I'm, you know, involved with this, or I've got shares in that, or I'm a director in that. And then, you know, the group decides, like, is that a conflict or is that not a conflict? And if it is a conflict, 
then, you know, there are rules about, you know, you cannot vote on the subject. You you may or may not be able to participate in the discussion, depending on whether you can add some factual, uh, you know, elements to it versus not being able to, you know, influence people's opinions, for example, that that's not allowed. So uh, just about everyone involved in any organizational arm of any disc golf, anything typically has a lot of overlap. And so there are, you know, potential conflicts of interest. Yeah. And I, I say that all the time. I was just talking to another good disc golf friend of mine tonight and fair or not, we always say like the, the person that has the most potential conflicts of interest are also probably the people that are just getting stuff done within our sport. Like there's the most experienced, the most experienced, <laughs> but you have your hands maybe in a bunch of different cookie jars, but you're also the person or set of people that are actually getting work done rather than just sitting around and talking about who should be doing what. Yeah. Um, and, and I think for that reason, it's easy for potential conflicts of interest. And if they're disclosed, then, you know, everybody moves forward from there. So I, I did want to set that up. Uh, as well. So this weekend you were commentating, of course, for Disc Golf Network, which you, as you said, you're doing for about seven events this year and commentating on the FPO side and doing what we call the color commentary along with Ian Anderson. And it, well, let's, let's break down round number four. It was at some point in which did it, we'll say dawn on you or how did it come about that you recognize that Kristen's daughter um, not only may be of under age of the age of 13, but then also may not be accompanied by another person? How did that how did that even hit you, so to speak? Well, it was um, after the players finished holding out on hole number two, um, the cameras had a nice close up of Kristen and her daughter and her daughter actually was trying to pick up Kristen's bag and then Kristen took it from her. Mm. And so when I saw that, you know, a, a whole bunch of things went through my mind. The first one is, well, did Kristen take that bag from her daughter because she knows her daughter's too young to caddy or, you know, was, was it just too heavy for her? And then it just kind of occurred to me, well, I wonder if she's even aware of the rule because you know, a lot of people are not aware. In fact, there's two rules. So there's, they're both in the competition manual rather than the rules of play. And one is rule 113A that said, if there are children under 13 who are, you know, are involved in being on the disc golf course with their, their adult or guardian, they need to be supervised by a separate adult. And the reason is that is, you know, you may have countered this um, you know, in years past with people having, you know, their children, you know, children are children. Uh, some of them are very well behaved and some of them have a ton of energy and run around. And, you know, of course, the way all the rules evolve is things happen. People provide comments or complaints. You know, the rules committee thinks about it, tests out different rules and eventually comes to uh, sorry, in this case, it's the competition committee would make a decision on on what seems fair and just to make sure nobody has a competitive advantage and nobody, you know, is unduly distracted or courtesy. So it was it's a few years ago, actually, that one thirteen a came into effect, and that's and, just to make sure that. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and to follow that up, 
I feel like there was a little more of a conversation about this a couple of years ago in attending when we saw the Junior Worlds break out ex- exclusive in, exclusively into being a junior event. And, and I think to uh, Emporia, I, uh, I don't know if it was now four years ago with COVID or five years ago, Emporia was awarded the, the Junior Worlds for three consecutive years, uh, or Dynamic Disc and Emporia was. And then you would go to these tournaments and we all know, I mean, all of us that have kids and, and, and are trying to get them into being players, there can be a little bit of chaos when you're talking about, you may have three kids under the age of 16 and you clearly can't necessarily, if they're not on the same card at the same time, rules and etiquette and everything can go very quickly, can go astray. And you can say, well, kids can be kids, but at the same time, there's a lot of things that can happen. And, and that's, that's something I personally saw and witnessed. And I'm not, you know, yelling at kids like I'm some grumpy old man. I have two kids that are 11 and 13. But I feel like that's maybe where even more of this conversation originated from is just realizing, hey, you have a few hundred kids in one place. And if you only have maybe one parent there and they brought two or three kids who who's their legal guardian who's who's making important um uh, medical decisions for them if they're on hole nine and you're on hole one and something happens and you're not with them or a legal guardian isn't with them or someone that's of a of a certain age or or uh, wits about them like there's there's real potential for challenge there right did it? Yeah, am I making all that up? I was even talking about a, a different rule, which okay. is juniors under a certain age must be accompanied by an adult. And, you know, that's to help them with the rules. Quite frankly, it's to help them count their number of throws, um, you know, especially when you get to the younger division. So, okay. so one adult per playing junior. The rule okay. we're talking about here is when adults are playing on a course and they can't get a sitter. And, you know, there might be an adult with one or more children with them. And that's sure. the situation where players were saying, well, I mean, for, if it's league night, it's fine. Right? Sure. League night, you know, the rules are relaxed. You know, a lot of things are, are fine. But if it's, a, you know, an actual competition, what came out of, you know, discussion, complaints, discussion, et cetera, is that, you know, 13 is the age where if a child is under 13, they need just a separate adult to take care of them. Because a round is just too long for, for most kids, not every kid, but you can't pick and choose between, you know, kids, you know, someone's sure. kids or, versus someone else's kids. Well, and, so and that rule. Okay. And I, real quick, just to interject there, to be fair, I think a lot of the conversation has come about also, when we'll continue with it though, is, is the fact that, Kristen's child, Isabel, is, as many have said, is as polite and professional and kind and courteous and as well-behaved as any nine-year-old we've ever seen in our life. And I think that's what kind of maybe even stoked the some of the fire here is people are saying she wasn't like a maybe what a typical nine-year-old would be like. And as you're saying to that, we don't necessarily know that ahead of time. I mean, you can't pick and choose and you, you're not going to have a conversation. Hey, you're eight. Um, are you going to behave this round or not? Because we need to know, you know, what rules we're going to apply. So I, I can understand how if if there's an age, it has to be set somewhere. And the age was set at 13. So yeah. go on, please. And so then there's a separate rule, which is 305B that says that caddies 
must be at least 13. Is there a specific reason for that particularly? I I was thinking, and I've, obviously there's been a lot of communication back and forth today. The, and we, this is going to probably roll into other conversation. A caddy is more or less, we've always been told, an extension of the player. They have to abide by all the rules that, that the player has to. Is there a reason that it's 13? Because I think about, you know, my my 10-year-old or my 12-year-old now, he was 10 um, when, the last time he came to an event with me. Uh, perfectly well-behaved kid. I had, you know, he walked along with me, and this is before this rule. <laughs> um, we, if he gets, if, if he acts out, that's on me, and that would be a penalty or a courteous, vi- a, a violation for me. Is there a reason why the PDGA picked 13 for being a caddy? You know, I'm not exactly sure. My speculation is if if your child caddy got completely bored, since they're 13, they can walk off on their own, right? They don't okay. need to be supervised. Mm. So it ties I'm in with sure that. I'm not sure if that's it, but it, it kind of has a logic there. Okay. Okay. Um, so at that point, you had recognized this and, and what you had believed in, you know, Kristen earlier in the year, she won... She won the memorial. I interviewed her. She won the memorial and then said, oh, yeah, my daughter's back in Estonia. It's her ninth birthday today. So there was never really a question. And you can tell she looks, um, you know, she doesn't look like she could possibly be a a 13-year-old. So you knew all of this. What then went through your, what walk us through your thought process? Well, I, I didn't exactly know what was going on. Because if you know whole two, the player group, and then the gallery all sort of walk past that basket to get to the next hole. So, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on there. I didn't know if her daughter was in the player group or if her daughter was in the crowd and just stopped and said hi to mom and actually pick up the bag. I don't know, out of habit or something. Like, I, I, I didn't know what the situation was. Um, it, I did wonder, however, if Kristen was aware of the rule. And, you know, it just may have never been in a situation where uh, that rule needed to be applied. And, um, you know, I've been in situations a a few times where I've gotten penalized during competition. And and one time I was penalized at the world championships was I did something wrong and I actually had no idea I was doing something wrong. And, you know, when a tournament official comes to you, and gives you, I mean, even gives you a warning. It, that's, it's a very tense situation. Um, it, it's a very uncomfortable situation. And, you know, I didn't know if Kristen was understanding the rule and was abiding by it or if she wasn't. But I certainly didn't want to get her in a situation where if she was unaware of the rule that, you know, a, a tournament director might or a official might notice that something was wrong and then have that stress of calling her on it. So uh, basically I said, well, I wonder if she knows, you know, obviously I can't contact her. I wonder if there's any way I can get kind of a message to her just, just so she knows. Um, And so I have a friend who was on the player group, happened to be caddying for another player. And this is, you know, a trusted friend of mine, Haley Childs, lovely woman, um, very good head on her shoulders. I knew she could just very discreetly, you know, pull Kristen aside, have a little chat with her, say, are you aware of these two rules? 
And, you know, also because she's a local player and she knows a lot of people there, if Kristen needed any help in coming into compliance, like I knew Haley could take care of her. And so I sent her a message and, you know, indeed Haley, you know, in due course got the message and was able to just quietly, you know, show Kristen, you know, like the two rules that I just said, like, are you aware of these? Cause you know, I don't want any penalty to be incurred. And so then as it turns out, Kristen was not aware of those rules. And so that enabled her to, you know, pull on some resources as I understand it. Uh, you know, I, this is all hearsay. All I know is, you know, after that point, um, we didn't really see Kristen's daughter with the group and Kristen continued to play on. I think she deuced the next hole and she, you know, hit the gauntlet of number five and almost deuced it. And, and, you know, everything just seemed to be absolutely fine. So my intention was to just, you know, I didn't know what was going on, but just in case Kristen was unaware, I just wanted to get some information to her so that she could be empowered to get into compliance if she wasn't, or if she knew the rule and everything was okay, she could say, oh, no, it's no problem. Uh, and it could just very quietly and discreetly <laughs> be taken care of. How did that work out for us? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> no, um, were you, I mean, there, there's, there's been a lot of talks about the ramifications mm-hmm. of the, the rule and what would happen and, and this and that. Were, are, were you, are you familiar with, you know, the procedure after this is called. So someone goes up to Chris and says, Hey, your, your, your caddy is, is not of age. And here's the rule. There's been a, a lot of talk about what would happen. Robert Leonard came on and said, there's DQ was never in the conversation, never talked about with Kristen disqualification. Um, but it's not exactly clear in the rule book as to what the penalty is. Is it a, courtesy violation is it a stroke violation is it an you know we, we've seen in the past with caddy incidents uh immediate disqualification uh, are you I, I honestly at the time i didn't know what the consequences were and you know sometimes it's not easy to very quickly find that information very clearly in the rule book you need to sort of look through a lot of sections i i honestly i only had seconds to take in what happened and you know send off a message and just you know, trust that, that Haley was going to manage it. And she did. So I, 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 with all of that explanation, a lot of the criticism has come from the fact that to me, I'll I'll be brutally honest. It, the optics uh, are part of this and the optics are you texted Kristen's number one competitor and that gives the perception that you texted Haley, uh, Paige's caddy, as if that were ammunition or some form of uh, advantage to give to put into Paige's hands and that there was a malicious intent there. That That's what is the absolute knee-jerk immediate reaction for everyone is you're mad, you 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 personally like Paige or you want Paige to outperform or do better than Kristen. Therefore let's, let's equip Paige and Paige's caddy with this damaging information or rule update. That's how it's perceived by so many. And so to that, you would directly say. 
Well, I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. So number one, like I cannot in any world imagine Paige herself, you know, calling out a violation on a player without, you know, giving them a chance to correct the situation, if that was at all humanly possible. And, you know, and if you know Haley, you will know, you know, she's a, a wonderful human being. If she can, you know, help someone, she will help someone. I understand it's kind of weird that the only person I could get in touch with was, you know, just happened to be Paige's cat. But um, it's because I know Haley and I know she would attend to the issue very discreetly as she did. And I mean, there was no penalty called everyone helped and all that. Um, I felt like if I didn't say anything and then an official call was made on Kristen and there was some sort of penalty associated with it, I would just feel terrible because I could see that it had the potential to happen. So, well, real quick, you, you, you paged, I'm sorry, you texted, (laughs) I'm not that old. There's no pagers. Uh, you texted Haley. Did, did you text anybody else? Because I, I had heard that maybe you texted Joe Chargaloff to, to to talk to Haley to double check. I mean, what? Who? If it what was it just Haley, or were there other people that you messaged as well? Um, I did. Like Haley wasn't picking up, and as I found out later, she didn't have particularly good reception. So <laughs> welcome to WR Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I did like text to Joe Shargloff because I, I saw him in the crowd, but, um, and I just said, could you ask Haley to look at her message again? I just, I didn't want this to be any kind of official call. I didn't know that any rule was being broken. I didn't like, I just wanted the opportunity for Kristen to understand the rule if she didn't. And just the whole thing to be, like a resolved very quietly, no fuss, no mess, no official rulings, just, you know, just take care of it. And And I'd say it really felt like that's how it was handled on the ground. You know, Robert Leonard said the whole conversation with Kristen lasted about 20 to 30 seconds. They were able to find someone to take care of the daughter. Mm -hmm. They ended up making her a volunteer, giving her a quiet sign so she could walk inside the ropes with, you know, like 30 or whatever Mm -hmm. feet behind uh, behind the 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 group is mm-hmm. so I, I i'm gonna say i think the number not the number one one of the uh, then outstanding questions is you know as you just said you you weren't sure if a rule was or wasn't being broken in, in essence you were looking out for Kristen's uh for for Kristen and to make sure that she was in compliance a lot of people would say is is that overstepping a line? Is that uh, something a commentator, play-by-play, color, doesn't matter probably, is that overstepping a line in any capacity? And I guess that that's where I could leave the question. Do you feel like that's overstepping a line? And maybe the next question, the side question to that is, does anyone else feel like you're overstepping a line by doing so? So I was acting as... Elaine King me. I was not acting in any official capacity. I mean, like, 
obviously nobody at Disc Golf Network um, has any, um, like they don't get involved in the play. They, they document the play. Mm-hmm. They do not get involved. It, so I definitely acted on my yeah. own. Was, was it a good idea? I, you know, if, you know, if I'm playing with people and I see someone's foot is just like completely in the wrong place on their lie before they throw, I'm going to stop them and say like, hold on, look at your foot. Are, are you sure you're good? I've had situations where players mark their lie. Turns out someone else had to go first. It wasn't their turn. Oh, they step back. And then the next day they step up. They stepped up to their original disc. They didn't step up to their mini. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to just let the person throw. I'm going to say, whoa, whoa, hold on. Didn't you mark your disc? You know, I, I, I don't want to call penalties on, you know, anyone in the field. I want people to have a chance to play it properly. I think it's just, I feel very badly when people's score isn't just the sum of the number of discs they threw. If their score has extra mm-hmm. things. Like I add up when we had paper scorecards, I would add everyone's score backwards and forwards. Cause I didn't want anyone getting a two stroke penalty. I just, you know, that's, I guess if I'm airing, it's airing on the side of, I just want to be proactive in making sure everyone can play the game the way it's supposed to be played, following all the rules and not incurring any penalties. Being Elaine King is, do you, would you see yourself doing that exact same thing if you were sitting at home watching the broadcast verse, or if you were, you know, you're from the kind of the, area maybe you would have even if you were not broadcasting you might have been there if you were walking along you know would you have chimed up if you were at the event would you have tapped joe on the shoulder and said hey maybe we should take a look at this is do you you see yourself doing something like that and is that you know now put your pdga hat on for a second is that the right thing to do should we being allowed should we be allowing spectators or even officials just walking along other players that are now spectators to be uh, interjecting themselves into uh, into the cards that are playing. That's a great question. Um, we can, I mean, it's very clear in the rules that um, people who are not part of that player group or an official cannot make a rules call. So you can't be at home and say, oh, there was a there was a footfall or someone took too much time or, you know, whatever. That's not allowed. You have to be part of the player group or an official to make a rules call. So you can't and this. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to take this on a side yeah. tangent because yeah. I don't personally know if we're all sitting at a backup on hole 12 and, you know, Ricky and everybody walk up to the second card and they see somebody and, and it's the second card that's watching a player from or the first card watching someone from the second player card make a mistake is the first card allowed to make a call on the second card if i mean they're all standing I around believe, i believe i believe they are okay so it's not just the um, card that's able to make the call it is other players in other player cards. group like the, the player the, group okay so the the pool the player pool, pool. we'll say not, yeah. not group okay i i wasn't mm-hmm. sure because obviously when the when a player gets off the course you know they, they might come back and follow the lead card and if they're 
you know, if they see something happen, that could cost. Mm-hmm. If I'm first out of cash and I see somebody making a mistake and, and I call them on it, I'm a player and they're on the lead card. So, so okay, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, of, yeah. I, obviously, there's, there's different types, types of penalties. Of and <laughs> I, I know you can call courtesy on mm-hmm. other players um, because other players can be discourteous to people in different groups. For an example, um, it, it may not be. See, now you're asking this question. I'm going to have to go back to my rules book. <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't have to. And, we don't have to. And, I know I, um, I took us on a little tangent. It's all kind of these are all scenarios that are running through my head as far as, you know, where are you, you, when you make the call versus yeah, so, somebody so else versus a player? Home, if I was just sitting at home watching it, um, or if I was, you know, spectating and I saw a situation where someone looked like they, potentially were out of compliance or about to incur a penalty. Um, I kind of, well, before this happened, um, (laughs) me being me, I would, I would absolutely see if I could in a way that didn't, you know, disrupt things, you know, see if we could educate that player just to make sure they were in compliance. So, yeah, if I was sitting on my um, sofa at home and I saw this going down, I I might still have texted a friend of mine and say, like, are are you sure the rules are being followed here? Because it looks like someone, you know, potentially is doing a violation. Can you just check on that for me? Now, maybe um, maybe I need to change my ways. Like maybe um, I am overstepping and I'm, I'm reflecting hard on that right now. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's part of the the potential criticism out there is saying, mm-hmm. um, "Hey, if if you're commentating, you shouldn't be concerned." And this is all funny because obviously I'm a commentator as well, and we'll get into that. But yeah. if you're commentating, you shouldn't necessarily be worried about rules infractions that are or aren't taking place on screen or potentially reaching out or having any consideration with the players because that's not your role in that moment, and that's very much part of the discussion that's out there and I'll follow that up and say I've I've called things for people breaking rules on the air I've made mention of it I don't know if that's any different from what I've done versus you've done because you potentially uh, instructed or warned somebody that they might be in violation as opposed to me just saying oh that was a foot fault like I've said that on air somebody foot faults and I see it in front of me I've said it do I expect necessarily anybody to do anything about it no but as a commentator, I I feel like it's my job to call it if I see it and I and I choose to well, to mention it. But there, I've, I've, again, I've been in, involved in a lot of conversations about this. Um, hindsight being twenty twenty, if it's me doing commentating and I see this, I'm you. I think maybe the best move is to literally announce it on air. Just put it out there. Hey, guess what? It looks like Tatar might be in violation of this rule and let the chips fall where they may, maybe. I, and maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm a narc no, then. No. On, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I need to be. I mean, and that's, but and again, that's, it's such a tough. I just want to fix it. I like I'm to a, fix things. I, I, I understand, like Elaine. I, I understand. Ah. I totally get it. Like, and, and obviously, you know, yeah. I, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking as a perspective, like, is it the commentator's job even to call that out? Like you were saying to, to make it known that that is a problem. I think it is as a commentator, 
in, in, a, in the commentator seat, your job is to be knowledgeable of the rules. Your job is to be knowledgeable of the players, the, the course, the event, as much as you can be. And let and, you know, if, if you see somebody make a misplay, you you mention that on the broadcast. You have to. That is that is imperative, because I'll say this. If there is another perspective to look at this, if you don't say anything and it fi- and someone finds out, you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Does it not look like you're protecting Kristen Tatar? Like, oh, the PDGA didn't call that when we everybody knew that that was a violation. Well, how come the we we already get in a lot of flack or we the PDGA gets a lot of flack from people online saying that rules aren't being followed, rules are not being called, whether it's the caddy uh, dress code, whether it's 30 seconds, whether it's falling putts. There, there's I kind of believe this is almost a, a, a no win situation here. You if you if you make the call, you are trying to tank. Kristen Tatar, if you don't make the call, it looks like you're protecting Kristen Tatar and, and, and you're and you're yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the right answer. I don't know if there is a right answer in this particular situation. I, I think the easiest answer, like I said, is to call it live on the broadcast and let the chips fall. But but I'm sure people on our board are going to disagree with that. <laughs> so, Elaine. Have you had any conversations with outside of. Yeah, since then, have you had any conversations with Paige or Haley or Kristen or anyone else? Have you had conversations with anyone else? Yeah, I mean, I, I checked in with Kristen. Like, I want to give her a day or so because I imagine, like, you know, because of the outcome of the tournament, she was probably getting all kinds of messages from her friends and supporters, etc. And so I, um, I mean, I can't even remember when the day was I think it was yesterday that I I reached out to her and you know we chatted back and forth and and you know we're all good um she understands that I was just trying to look out for her and make sure she knew what the rule was and and you know we're good Haley and I have chatted quite a few times and you know we're we're all good and you know we were united in that we wanted to just make sure that you know Kristen knew what the rule was and that she had some help and support. And that that's where Haley was invaluable because, you know, she knew some people in the crowd and was able to help identify, you know, a suitable person to act as a, you know, to watch over Isabel. So uh, let's also get another rule uh, or uh, another uh, specific out there. Uh, a lot of criticism is, criticism has has backed up their their arguments and their points that why was this brought up in round four and not in rounds one two or and three and i think i know the answer do do you Uh, yeah because round four was the only round that isabella was present for she was just not present in the other three rounds okay um a lot of people even on our board tonight and and whatnot have you know, constantly go back to that one specific point and say, why was this an issue only for round four? Why wasn't it addressed or an issue in rounds one, two, and three? And as you just said, it, it wasn't even presented. Now, uh, I guess maybe it's a fair question. If Isabella, Isabel is there in round one, maybe you don't think anything of it, but she's there in round two in the exact same situation. We we literally, you know, could go back 48 hours prior to when you reached out to Haley um, and you recognized it. You recognized the same situation. Hey, you know, there's her daughter. You very much 
presumably might have reached out 40 out 48 hours earlier that is that a fair assumption if you would have recognized it or no i mean i guess what i'm trying to ask is the fact that it was the final round in the fourth round had no no bearing that that, yeah that had no bearing it's it's you know if i see um just a situation where someone just honestly doesn't know that they may be doing something wrong and again I wasn't calling rules violation. I didn't know what was happening. I just saw something that didn't quite look right. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, everything was all okay or had a chance to be rectified just quietly. And to be fair. So, yeah. It doesn't matter what round it was. Um, that probably would have gone down exactly the same. To, to be fair and clear, you can't call a rules violation as a commentator. No, no, and, I, can't, and, I can't. And this I, do- I can't see everything. You'll only see yeah. like a tiny bit of what's there. And yeah. th- there's there was some questions like because right now the PDGA has a rule that says you can't use video evidence to make a rules call, and that's not what this is anyway. This is different. You know, there's no way you can use uh, video evidence to judge a, a picture or a video. OB, foot faults, anything like that. That's not that's not live, not post, not anything like that's just not acceptable. That's um, by the PDGA rules. And as we know, that's not what this was. This was you seeing something that could be, in theory, a perpetual issue and notifying somebody on site who then would have to witness it themselves, because even if. Even if you texted a TD about a 30-second, like, you know, pl- play a scenario, and we'll even leave you out of it. Say Jeff Spring is sitting at home watching one of our broadcasts. He notices that a player is taking well longer than their 30 seconds. Pick any player you want. And he texts, is it his being the the, the tournament, maybe, uh, or the tour CEO, is it his prerogative to, me- to message Someone on site, whether it's a TD or official to say, hey, this card is clearly taking too long. I can see it on site. You know, is that is that an acceptable solution and have uh, someone go and monitor that card? Clearly, he's not making the call, but is it even his prerogative to go and do that? Where where are we drawing lines as far as what is or isn't acceptable? I I thought of scenarios that you have run into, Terry, if we're talking about how media should not be interfering with the play. How many times have you caught a, a miscalculated scorecard in post-production, Terry? <laughs> a lot. So you, you take a picture of the scorecard at the end of the day so you can do your graphics, mm-hmm. and someone has a four down on the card, but you notice that it's a five. The player, maybe somehow someone misscored the card. What are What is your obligation? What do you do? Do you contact the TD? Do you contact the player? Do you contact the card and say, hey, are you sure that so-and-so had a four and not a five on hole seven? Yeah, there's there's always been... Various ways things like that have been handled. Mm-hmm. Um, what is you know, you know whether it's reaching out to a player or reaching out to a tournament director or whatever the case might be, and that goes into whole like the idea of video evidence versus just flat out turning in the wrong scorecard. Um, was the wrong score written and recorded? Was the you know how how did it arrive at mm-hmm. that? Uh, uh, yeah, I don't I don't have all those answers clearly, and I I think you know getting back to it, the question just becomes one of the main questions is what level and, and is interjecting and or inserting should we is either acceptable or should we be concerned with? And I, I believe that's a philosophical question, a, mm. a little bit rhetorical, but Elaine 
yeah. you know, right now you're in that hot seat is what level of concern is it fair for you to have, I think is what the people I guess want to know, but we're never going to agree on anything. No, there's, there's, no, there's no right answer. So, <laughs> so your intentions. Um, yeah, I mean, the longer this goes on and the more I reflect about it, the more conversations I have, um, you know, I'm starting to slowly come to the conclusion that, you know, my, I guess my empathetic nature is, is kind of working against me and, I mean, it's very hard. I mean, it's very hard to just watch a situation that could potentially mm -hmm. end up with someone getting a violation and without them, you know, doing something, you know, willful or circumventing or acting in bad faith. It's just very, very hard to watch. So this is probably, um, well, I mean, this is definitely a very big learning experience for me. I just could never, ever have imagined ever in my wildest dreams that this just quick little text to my friend and a little conversation could end up being a, an incident. Like I was trying to avoid an incident. <laughs> it's just, but you know, I, I definitely don't think I would ever do anything of, of the type again. Um, I'm not sure that what ended up happening in the course of the round would have changed. I mean, someone would have eventually noticed that, you know, these, these two rules weren't being followed and, and, you know, inevitably Kristen would have been, you know, notified of that by, you know, most likely an official and had to take the same action. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't and know I mean, about, I, I don't know about that, home. honestly. I, I, honestly, I don't know if anyone would have noticed. It's such a new rule. I don't know if anybody would have noticed that during the round, but it certainly at some point probably would have come up at least after the round because we've, you know, at some point someone would uh, would, would, would well, figure that out. I don't necessarily know if it would have come up during the round, but... I'll say this. If you put two and two together and arrived at the conclusion that you did, that that then prompted you to take some kind of action. Clearly, somebody else could have arrived at the conclusion just mm -hmm. as you did. Like, I don't think that's crazy uh, to assume that much. And I think, uh, again, as you're saying, your attempt was in good faith to thwart the idea of her potentially getting penalized later if she was, in fact, breaking the rule. Your intent was not to disrupt play or to disrupt the round. But that, that's unfortunately did all correct. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I mean, right. I'm just saying, unfortunately <laughs> so, it did, yeah. but that wasn't your intention. I mean, that mistakes was not my intention. clearly, you know, I don't even want to say mistakes were made because I don't know if it's a mistake yet. Um, I, I'm not sure on the right answer where, where we stand yet, but I think that, at you know silver lining maybe this brings up other issues and more clarity in the PDGA you know maybe we will get some hard and fast rules about this you know maybe you know there's been again a lot of talk about the caddies how come the PDGA doesn't call specific things and 
dress code was one of them that was brought up this uh, today and yesterday. We saw on live coverage, um, Babcock's uh, caddy looked like to me was wearing a T-shirt with his name. <laughs> and I don't know. I didn't check the tag on. I wasn't there. I don't know. Someone said it was a cotton slash performance tee. Can't argue. You look at Brittany Dickerson, who was on the course. You know, she was in that, you know, caddy slash support person role. She had the badge. Her attire did not meet FPO PDGA approval. It was a tank top. And if you read the rules, the dress code, I actually have it pulled up right here. It says here, like, uh, well, no T-shirts are allowed. Uh, Women can wear, uh, was it uh, tennis? Uh, Sorry, I don't know women's clothing very well. Um, I I could just read it here. Tennis dress or performance shirt. Tennis dress or performance shirt. That's not what Brittany was wearing. sleeveless with collar. Or sleeveless with collar. Thank you. Where, you know, where does the PDGA stand? And why aren't all of these rules? People are asking, why aren't all these people being called out? Why aren't all these rules being pushed? You know, do how do we check IDs for caddies? My 12 year old <laughs> Elaine, I think maybe you saw him. He's six foot. My 12 year old is six foot tall. Is there is huge. there is no way anyone would look at that kid and think he's 12. How how do they know? You know, do we, what can we do in the future to. To make sure that these are being abided by, do we need to have players register caddies ahead of time hey these are the people that are on my registered caddy list do we need to have people register to be caddies should we have a a a, a, you know at the beginning of a season you send your information to the pga and say hey i I would like to be considered for a caddy because i'll tell you what in a few weeks i'm gonna go to usw dgc i'm hoping over in madison and i'm i'm gonna i want a caddy for somebody i think just hang out and chat and pick up someone's bag and walk around on one of the couple lead cards first second third i don't know who i don't care who uh, but i'm not you know in the future that might not be allowed should you register to be a caddy you know these are things that i think the pdga now maybe might have to look at and get some clarity on i don't know so what do we do from here elaine Oh, gosh, Terry. (laughs) Well, I'm older and wiser. Um, I I definitely do want to apologize to everyone who got upset, was concerned. Um, You know, I I truly know in my heart of hearts I was just trying to prevent an incident. But, you know, that, that... didn't work out. And I also, honestly, I truly believe in my heart of hearts. And I know that I'm sure that a PDJ official or other tournament official would have recognized the fact that Kristen had her daughter with her. And eventually, I mean, hold one and two, like the, the crowd kind of follows the same path as the players. When you start to get on some of the later holes, the crowd tends to peel off. And, you know, eventually it was going to become very obvious that, you know, she was following the crowd with no um, adult supervision. And so I think, you know, the, the conversation would have happened with Kristen and this idea that we needed another support person to take care of Isabel. I think that would have happened. I mean, uh, like, I'm not a rules expert. I, I know the rule book pretty well, but we've got marshals out there who are 
experts through and through and read the rule book off. And I, I'm sure it happened. The other thing that could have happened is, you know, the network could have continued to show lots of scenes of Kristen and her daughter. And then, you know, of the thousands or 10,000s viewers, many of them are parents. Many of them have had to arrange childcare for this local C tier that they just played. And so people would be seeing that and going, you know, hold on again, you know, is, is the rule that's being applied to me and my C tier being applied here? Clearly you affected in what capacity we'll never know. Clearly you affected Kristen's mindset for some period of time, whether, you know, by seeing a message like that, that says, Hey, my, you know, your my daughter, as she's reading it, my daughter, um, you know, is in me and my daughter in some form of potential violation, uh, you know, here at this final round of this event, any mother, any person doesn't have to be just a mother. Somehow, you know, some thoughts are conjured up in her head, anxiety, stress, whatever. Now, whether that was for 30 seconds or the next three hours, I don't know if anyone will ever know. Do you feel like there was a better possible time or did it did the thought occur to you? Hey, this might be a violation. And maybe I sh- I'll hold off until the end of the round to then inform her of the potential violation. Well, what good would that have done? <laughs> um, it, 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 it would not have potentially provided the, the, the stress and the anxiety. It, it, as you're saying, it, she, somebody else could have noticed it and then maybe uh, a stiffer or harsher you know, uh, result could have came about. Because at but, the time, we didn't know what the penalty was. Yeah, or and, what it could be. Yeah, and so I guess my point was, could it? So, some are asking then, could it have just been something that essentially? I don't want to say it was just overlooked or swept under the rug. I don't want to quite use those phrases, but could it have been potentially ignored and then become a teachable moment after the fact? I guess that's what a lot. I feel like a lot of people are kind of going with that mentality because she was polite, kind, courteous, not disturbing, blah blah blah. You know, all of the qualifiers. And they're saying, hey, you should have just left it be and instructed after the fact. Someone should have instructed after the fact. How do you react to that, to that, you know, take on it? Well, I mean, what what is being suggested there is if, you know, we just decide not to apply the rules in some cases and do in others, which kind of goes against your earlier point that people are watching and saying, you know, I'm seeing rules violations. Why isn't anyone calling them? So, you know, it's ultimately it's up to the the player group to call violations that happen within their own card. It's up to tournament officials to observe. And if they happen to observe any violations, they are required to call them as well. Which we also unfortunately see happen. doesn't happen. Yeah, you're not going to assume that that nobody's going to call a violation. You're going to assume that someone most likely will because they're supposed to. So I, I guess I'll follow that up. 
that's not just as specific to Kristen as it is to rules in general. I think the one of the biggest conversation pieces comes from saying, you know, people are saying we're worried about this rule or this was brought up and this was made an example of or or discussed. Why aren't we more strict with what feels like a bunch of other rules that are being ignored? And I, I understand that's a little bit of a general question, but why do you suppose that is? Why are 30 second violations becoming more and more common and not being called? Why are other rules? Do, I mean, you play professionally as well. Do you do you have a reason or a, a thought as to why we're not seeing more rules calls being made just generally speaking? It's, it's interesting because I sort of feel like people are getting more compliant. Okay. Because I, I think we're having a lot more conversations about rules calls because there's more... Um, content of disc golf that people can watch and we're getting you know tons of discussions on this very point and of course um the the rule especially the one on time has changed so it used to be 30 seconds after uh, all distractions have ceased and now it's just 30 seconds after it's your time to throw so that rule has gotten more stringent and so there's been tons of conversation that I've seen about just that new rule and a lot more awareness. Now, is it happening more or less often on televised disc golf? I I can't tell you, but I sort of feel like in my local scene that people are a lot more aware of the rules and are abiding by them much better, I think. Okay. I just, that I feel like is a lot of, what's fueling the online rage right now is saying you were concerned and and brought to light what feels like a relatively um unknown or 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 under publicized rule yet we see rule violations left and right and where are we going to draw the line and why are we not calling and or acting upon all these other you know <laughs> wildly obvious rules and you were I don't want to say cherry picking, but you were, you know, you were tuned in on a very specific, but yet somewhat unknown and newer rule. That seems to be a, a lot of the conversation piece out there. It's funny because I see two well, different. Oh, I say I see two different styles of people out online. I see people who are adamant that every rule get called, and I see another side of people that are like, "Okay, hey, man, it's just golf." Let's get rid of some of these rules. We, do we really need all these rules? It, there, it, there really are, are two different uh, groups of people uh, that this camp falls into. Like, why, should we, why are we calling all these ticky-tack little rules? Let's just go out and play. It's, I, you know, I, I know which side I fall on, but. <laughs> go ahead, Elaine. Sorry. Yeah, and I was going to say, I, I think especially parents who have children of those ages probably know the rule about children being accompanied and caddying. They know it very well. Parents perhaps are not as representative on some of the social media commentary. It may be people who don't have children, for example, and who would be just very unaware of the rule because it just never affects them. Okay. I, I honestly, I don't know what else to ask, whether, you know, people consider it direct or indirect. I, I don't know where we, you know, go from here. I, I think we've clarified your intention, although it, it feels like 
for many, it has, you know, your good intentions were not perceived as such. And uh, I, to a large degree, I think there is, we're never going to come to a consensus. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. There's going to be some faction of people that believe you were well-intentioned and for you as a friend to message Haley is perfectly adequate and fine and acceptable. And there's going to be plenty of people that say you absolutely should have never gotten out your phone or messaged anyone in, in inserted or, or been a part of it in any way, shape or form. I, I, I think that's where we're at. Um, and there's never going to be a consensus see, one way or another. Mm-hmm. I can see that other point of view. I mean, at the time I, all I could think of was, I wonder if Kristen knows the rule. If she's not aware of it and not following it, I wonder what's going to happen to her. Like that was just my overwhelming thought. Um, would I do it again? I, I think after this experience, um, no, I'm just going to completely separate. You know, when I'm in a different role, I, I can't be Elaine King friend to competitors. Like I have to just completely separate that out and not not act on that. And if I have to watch something happen that I, I feel like I could have avoided, I'm just going to have to watch it happen. Okay. It, it feels... It feels tough. And I mean, I, it's, I mean, it's, you know, you as a journalist, both of you, um, maybe you're just more in that mindset. You've been doing it for so many years. You're detached yourself when you're in that role. Um, I, I guess I'm still learning. I mean, uh, Susan, <laughs> as, as a guy who's filmed, I'll use that as one example. There have been times I I'm about to watch a player potentially do something that I think breaks the rules. It's very tough. As you just said, I generally am quiet, but then also uh, two minutes later, when somebody throws OB into the water, I'll let them use my monopod to retrieve their disc. So like we do have some funny, and I know that's not a rules violation, but my point is we do have some funny interactions that are not always obvious and cut and dry. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses for anyone, but you know, you, if I understand you correctly, you are not, you were not trying to act as a PDGA board representative. And I think a lot of people are really hung up that they think a PDGA board representative who's doing commentary should have no, no insertion in this conversation. And I think it's a hard thing to, to remove you from being first or also a PDJ board representative. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I mean, I certainly was not acting in, in any official capacity whatsoever. I was not representing the PDJ. I was not representing disc golf network. I was messaging my friend. All right. I, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, and people can love or hate you for that. I mean, I guess, unfortunately, that's what this comes down to. That's your explanation and how you arrived at it. And people can agree or disagree with just that. I mean, I guess that's quite honestly all I can say about it. Right. <laughs> Elaine, um, I don't even really know where to go from there. I mean, I feel like we've now discussed, I think, every angle of this. A few times. Sometimes. A few times. Um <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, I was going to say it goes without saying you've you've apologized to to Kristen and to the group and um, uh, maybe to spin this in a slightly more positive uh, way after all that is what, what did you think of the overall event and the experience knowing you're familiar with Jackson, knowing you're familiar with the property and the, the play, the way it shook out pages, you know, uh, ascension throughout the rounds, all that other stuff. Give us your, give us your take on the, on the weekend, Katrina's final, you know, bogey free course setting round record setting round. Give us, give us some of your thoughts on that. It was the most exciting round I think I've ever witnessed. It was you know, starting with, you know, the dedication of the pavilion to Bill Oldman Wallace. I mean, we were just in tears in the booth with just that heartfelt dedication, you know, by Mike Downs. Um, then to, you know, watch the drama of the back and forth of the lead changes. And as you saying, like Katrina's amazing charge um, to get her like well up into the cash like the high cash spots was amazing. And then like the drama as it folded out to the end. And so many times we thought, you know, oh, that the result is obvious. The result is obvious. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. And then, you know, very unexpected end. And then, you know, the emotional speech that Paige gave, it was a, it was emotionally draining. Um, It was just packed with the most, amazing play and excitement and drama and human emotion and you know just riveting riveting do you this situation aside do you envy or regret that you weren't there as a competitor yourself as opposed to being in the booth (laughs) and i I don't mean to (laughs) it was just absolutely killing me i just wanted to play so badly uh, it was less bad when it was raining there for a while. I was starting to feel better about things, but um, yeah, it was, it was really tough because I love that course and I I tend to do well on that course because um, it's not just a distance course. Um, so very very tough to not be down there in the action. Uh, rumor had it that we'll get back into rumors now, uh, but rumor has it that this event is not necessarily secured at this location. Can you confirm or deny that? Is there, no, it's is not a, that's not a rumor next year. It's already scheduled for the toboggan. Yeah. So uh, do, do, can you at all elaborate or do you know any details, not necessarily about the toboggan, but is, is that the plan is that this event is a springtime event that then gets bid out or, or is, is appointed yeah, or how does that work? Yeah, just like any other major, like every other major okay. is bid out um, that the, the PDJ meant. Well, maybe except for a, now that not every major, most majors <laughs> are bid out um, to make sure that they rotate around and people who live in different parts of the country have access to the events. And hopefully in future, they're going to be bid out to different countries and not just all naturally be in the U S and certainly we've in the past um, had some bids outside the U S and we're looking in the future to maybe run some of these majors elsewhere in the world. Well, let me just say if champions cup happens at the toboggan next year, it better be a little later in the season because you were just here, Elaine. And what did you experience here in Milwaukee? 
28 degrees and cold and, and snow and uh, yeah it the, snowed here this weekend literally, right? no it had we had snow monday morning uh there i had a there was a coat of a small coat of snow that was gone by monday afternoon but uh, it's going to be interesting having a, an early season major where it is going to be because again if it's going to be anytime in april april in michigan uh, at the toboggan that sounds like a recipe for some rough conditions mm-hmm. so I've, well you know that majors change time of year depending on the tour know, where they're held which year it is i mean pro worlds have been anywhere from june to october yeah women's nationals was in may it was in september you know it, it'll move around presumably to a sensible point in the schedule and you know, the local tournament directors, often when they have a bid package, they indicate, well, they have to indicate what dates they prefer. And very often they have an explanation of, oh, the ground is always wet at this time of year, so we have to have it later. Okay. Um, what what will you be playing next? I'm playing the Azalea Open on the weekend. It's a B-tier, Castle Hain, North Carolina. Okay. Um, Knowing that you've maybe ego and or just overall feelings, I mean, you'd like to ignore everything uh, that's negative that's out there when you when your mental fortitude can somehow handle that. But uh, today, probably a rough day, you getting beat up in lots of different ways online. Um, It blows over. It blows over. Trust me. We've we've all been there. (laughs) I'll just say I've been there, done that plenty of times. But uh, dare I ask, was there anything that you that you chuckled at that you actually found funny or or not so much? Or did you did you see anything? Oh, well, I mean, I I tried not to look at social media very much. Okay. I wasn't successful, but I I tried not to. Uh, okay. Uh, to quickly go there, what is the the furthest? I don't want to say the the most wrong take because I think we've kind of oh, no, covered no, that. No, 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 none of that. We don't need any. Any any parting shots? How about that? Any parting shots before we let you go tonight? Oh, but well, I mean, thank you for inviting me on the show. Um, I'm. I guess I. I, it hurts me the most when people honestly think I was being malicious. That that just really hurts me because that's so so much just the opposite of what I was trying to do there. So I, I know that not everyone is going to um, come away with um, the view that I'd like them to have. And, you know, people will take their own conclusions, but I hope um, at least this lays some of the facts clear and i just like to you know give a, a shout out to Haley. I, I put her in the middle i've apologized to her so many times i had just no idea there'd be like if i had any idea there'd be this reaction i never would have done it in the first place never attempted a message but it certainly wouldn't have put Haley in the middle and very unfortunately people are for some who knows what reason uh, giving her a lot of negative feedback so it it would be really nice if you would just, you know, hold your thoughts, people, with regards to Haley, because she is an awesome human being. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm going to just guess 
knowing it's the internet, that page probably was on the receiving end of some um, misinformed negativity as well. If, if I just, I just have to guess or assume as much, uh, Haley and Paige, you know, as the combo team and whatnot. And so Paige probably getting some of that too. So, um, I think it's safe to say that Paige should not be getting any flack or, or for no, having and she, like, I, I, she was not involved in any way whatsoever. Like not even remotely. Okay. Cool. Well, Elaine, we, we do appreciate it. We know that it is tough sometimes to stand there and, and uh, either... Take just, the heat. Yeah, take the heat and or face any uh, direct questions. Uh, we do appreciate you giving us the, you know, the word-for-word explanation as to how things went down and, you know, your reflection on it now and, and choices that you would make or not make uh, in the future with it. And... Um, all we can say is we just appreciate you joining us and Johnny and I know you personally. So yes, we do have a bias in knowing that you, you do have a heart of gold and that your intentions were well. And I know a lot of people will just think, well, we're, we're silly, you know, bias shills for you <laughs> in that sense. And if we want to, they want to accuse us of that, that's fine. Um, but we, we certainly did know your intentions um, as, regardless of how they were perceived by the rest of the world, we understood them. So we appreciate uh, you being along with this journey because now you know that much harder that all of this is a learning experience. And no matter how seasoned or veteran you are or we are or any of us are within this crew, mistakes are going to be made and tough decisions are going to be made. And some days, no matter, regardless of your intentions, you, it may turn out to be either the wrong one or even if it's the right one you may still get chastised for it so um we appreciate you being here and explaining everything tonight thank you both so much all right we'll elaine see, i'll see you in a few weeks probably elaine next time you're Milwaukee, okay so i don't next time i see you i'm sure you'll have one more victory over sarah nicholson so and or <laughs> hannah McBath. all right <laughs> elaine have a good night thank you for joining us tonight good night thank elaine you. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I, uh, I'm just going to open right up and say we understand that you still may not agree, and, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way where you can have a conversation of this nature and have everyone say, okay, yep, 100% of us all agree in one uniform direction or in unison uh this still could have been done that still could have been done i i think lessons have been learned i think mistakes have been made i think people realizing that recognizing that and having a conversation about it and hopefully learning and growing from it is now what we can all do literally every one of us whether it's people within the staff or people at the tournament or host of any tournament or myself as a commentator all of those different types of situations and all of those different roles in which we fit into on any given weekend, I think there's something to be learned from this. And, uh, you know, not that she needs me to ask for it, but I would ask that everyone, you know, put your pitchfork away and just a little bit of uh, grace uh, for in a well-intentioned, amazing human that um, made the decision that she did. 
She's under a microscope, and uh, we we all sometimes make mistakes. So, uh, and you want to call me an apologist for her? Go for it. I don't care. I'm with you. 100, 110%. Uh, we Thanks appreciate- to everybody who uh, super chatting. Um, yeah. That the super chat button does still work. What? Um, I, I, although I'm not 100% sure. So if, if we get a few more of those, uh, <laughs> it would be much appreciated. I, I, I keep missing the overlay that pops up. So that's how I know for sure. So uh, I, I, I appreciate you guys. So we thank see, you, everybody. Uh, for super Lane413 was just the most recent. I don't know if they all pop up for me. They don't anymore. It sounds like they go away. Uh, but seriously, we really appreciate anyone jumping in and supporting us in any capacity. Um, yeah, uh, always uh, a tough conversation sometimes to have, and yeah. All right. I have a rabbit hole regarding media that I'd like to go down oh, in great. the after show. No, we don't need to do it now, in the after show. As far oh, as, okay. Yeah, so I mean, we again, that is a, uh, a, a different thing. Let's talk about the FPO division here at the Champions Cup. As we all know by now, Paige Pierce was your champion. It's it's unfortunate. I'm going to say this. It's unfortunate that this situation is overshadowing um, a phenomenal event and a, two phenomenal champions, two phenomenal battles, phenomenal payout, just all around great event. It, it is unfortunate to me that that this is what some people will remember. Although I'm hoping that it's a short memory. It's a short memory. In, yeah. in, in a week, people are just going to look back and be like, cool. Paige just won her 16th major. Yeah. Tying Val Jenkins for the most majors in PDGA history. For FPO. So that that's that's what I'm hoping happens. But anyway, Paige Pierce takes this by two strokes, although it was not nearly that uh, that far apart. It felt like going into the 18th hole, you know, Paige Pierce gets has a chance at an eagle. She's putting from about, what, 50 or 60 feet for an eagle hits the front of the basket, falls there. Kristen Tatar is, you know, uh, Struggles a little bit to get up there, but has a chance to push this into a playoff. And unfortunately, whether it was nerves, whether it was just bad footing, a bad putt, airballs the putt, and then misses the comeback for the win. It's It was difficult to watch um, because obviously those two had battled so hard. And Kristen Tatar had what I felt it, it when Paige took the six on 15 internally, I was sitting here in my living room. I said, this is Tatar's to lose now. And unfortunately what we saw is that ended up happening. I mean, shout out to, to Paige for just, you know, fighting back and, you know, shooting a one under par on that round. But it, it just, it, it was a battle and, a phenomenal battle to, to be able to sit and take in and watch. So hopefully you guys all watch that on the uh, disc golf network or YouTube, wherever you decided to watch it. Um, anyways, Kristen Tatar, second place at a seven under par Sarah Hokum, um, for some people this year coming out of nowhere, shooting a four under par, just in general, a solid 
pretty consistent weekend. As we know, Sarah is very strong in the woods. She tends to what she lacks in distance. She makes up for an accuracy. And that is a benefit here at WR Jackson, as well as a lot of other wooded courses. So for those of you that were kind of looking down the leaderboard the last few weeks and counting Sarah Hokum out, it's we're just getting into Sarah Hokum season. <laughs> so kind of cool your jets. Um, my my favorite FPL player, Owen Scoggins, shooting a two under for the weekend, taking fourth place. Own, uh, you know, you got to love someone who can play in the Masters division and still is, you know, while, while she wasn't ever really competing for the win, it felt like she was always there for a podium spot. That was what some of the battle was. So shout out to Own. Um, just a, a, a pleasure to watch on screen. The the story, kind of like Paul McBeth stealing a little bit of the headlines uh, in MPO by shooting 16 down. Katrina Allen coming out with a scorching seven under par on that final round to to kind of crawl back up into uh, fifth place. Yeah, I mean, there's really nothing that, like you said, there's some parallels in the sense that, you know, save the best for last uh, of her four rounds. Uh, she had really struggled, though. Uh, I, I feel like through all three of the uh, previous rounds, actually, I'm not sure how her, se- her third round was, but I know she really struggled in rounds one and two. Mm-hmm. So for her to come back uh, the way she did in round number four, uh, certainly impressive. Yeah, she struggled in round three, struggled in round one and two. Well, round uh, one was kind of blah. It was an even, which isn't, which is just, okay. it's it's an average round for most of the FPL competitors. It was rounds two and three where she really had issues. She shot, shot a three and a four over, as you said. And then just to take all those strokes back on the ne- on the final round by shooting a seven. Yeah, so congratulations, uh, you know, jumping up mightily again in a very similar way that we saw uh, take place by one of our best over in the MPO side. So that was great to see. Uh, and then, you know, continuing to have a good year, Valerie Mondahano, not necessarily quite as high up in the finishes as where she's been the rest of the year, but she's also set a pretty high bar here in the early going of the season. So to see her come out, still have a really solid performance. I don't think a lot of people were surprised by that by any means. I don't think anyone was surprised by that. Um, but then also seeing her sister a little bit more competitive with with her i believe they were tied going into the final round and then uh or maybe the second to last round they were tied and then they shot the same score in the final round uh but then ended up having just a two-stroke uh difference between the two of them as well so valerie um, and then alexis mondahano yeah rounding out uh and let me just say taking home probably the most hardware of the weekend uh eighth place natalie ryan certainly she got the rec tech grill and the golden uh, Bushnell. We got to see her on camera throw in like a 230 foot downhill, a, you know, blind shot to win. I'm fairly certain. I don't know if anyone else had a, a, a longer throw in um, the golden Bushnell. And and then to to put it, what, like two feet or maybe it was three feet away from six feet. Oh, it was about six, six keen steps. Six, uh, six of my keen oh, six steps. Of so a little, steps. a little oh, more right. than was, six feet. It was MPO. I got small shoes. It was MPO. That was that was twenty four inches. Small feet. Okay. I, that's you're not wrong there. So congratulations, Natalie Ryan. Uh, not only cashing, but taking home a lot of extra hardware as well. Um, tied with uh, Natalie, we had Kona Star Panis, who is I think you know just starting to find her groove with her discs and her putting. You know she is at she tied for eighth place with Missy Gannon as well as Natalie and tied for 11th place. 
Haley King, who, you know, is finally getting on tour again. So for Haley to show up and still, you know, which you could argue is probably a little bit relatively cold when it comes to competitive play, uh, tied with Henna Blumrus. So those are your kind of, well, I guess top 11. Yeah, that's what we do players. here. We cover the top 11. That's Hey, that's what we're known for. That's what we're known for. I've got for. a t-shirt. <laughs> turn it to 11, right? <laughs> to turn it up to 11, yeah. So, uh, yeah, great great to see first major in the books uh, for 2022. Uh, the, the train just keeps rolling uh, as everyone then. I th- remember asking somebody, I think they said it was about eight hours to get from where they'll be in, uh, yeah, it was Kyle Klein and, and Cynthia Ricciotti were talking about it Sunday night that it's about eight hours, I want to say, to go from uh, Augusta area over to Jonesboro. So uh, the entire tour rolling over that direction, like you mentioned earlier, Eagle McMahon uh, will be at that event, but then is going to skip the one after. I feel like, though, if if we take a quick look, I've got to assume that the Jonesboro Open will feature all of your standard cast and i'm going to quickly click on it and of course get to uh last year's results where ricky waisaki was your champion of course that's where we also saw talking about firing on all cylinders at the time that's where katrina allen uh went all wild on all of us last year as well and didn't uh, she shoot like a thousand and thirty rated round or something? thousand and forty two oh, rated second round yeah that was when, we, when she shot the 54 out there i think we last were, year i think mo and i were talking about that maybe earlier this year about whether or not that was the best fpo round um that we've well, ever seen that not, we've not ever that, we, that we've ever seen on coverage that maybe we've seen on coverage that or maybe it was it was it her idle uh did she shoot really well at idle while no delaware i'm sorry the delaware round mm. that she just like was puring every shot at Delaware. That one or Delaware last year was really a, a toss up as far as the best FPO rounds. So. Yeah. So uh, of course, upcoming this weekend to quickly preview what we're going to see for Jonesboro uh, in terms of the MPO, it shows we've got 123 competitors. If I sort by rating, which nobody cares about our ratings, uh, Paul McBath, Eagle McMahon, Ricky Wysocki, Calvin Heimberg, Chris Dickerson, Matt Orem, Kyle Klein. So there's your top five or six or seven competitors or so. Um, Drew Gibson, and then and then I'll mention Adam Hammes there. Where I think a lot of people, including Adam, are going to be looking for a bounce back from this last weekend. I think if there was, you know, a, in uh, a, an unfavorable storyline on the MPO side. Adam Hammes, I think, was just a surprise to all. And again, that's meant actually as a compliment that you just anticipate that he's going to play well there. It was kind of a breakout place for him to play at the World Championships. Then he goes there, takes it to the playoff, cans like a thousand, you know, thousand foot putts or whatever he did a few years ago. <laughs> like just, you know, really lit the course on fire and, and just was destroying everything with his putter. And then this weekend just struggled mightily. Um, I, I, I saw him play one hole and it was hole 14, which is a, one of the par fives that some people were eagling. And at one point he, he wasn't where the rest of the group was after one throw, he was throwing his fourth and it just, so I, I don't know if it was grip. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, some kind of other mental block. I don't know if it was humidity. I have no idea what it was, but Adam Hammes definitely had a very, very uncharacteristic uh, performance and weekend. I, I'd be willing to bet. I'd have to look. I wonder how many of his rounds will even count against his rating. They were likely so far below I, his standard deviation or outside of it. 
uh, because he struggled I, so I, mightily out there. I don't know when when it's one. I feel like that's easy to discount, but if you have two or three of them, I, I feel like one of them is going to hit. Like I understand standard deviation, but we'll see. Yeah. So Adam Hammes, um just looked look to see him have a big bounce back is is really what I'm suggesting there. I, I, think I wouldn't so. be surprised uh, whatsoever. Obviously, as one of the uh, best players in the field, you know, one of the top ten players in the field, you'd expect him to have a good weekend this weekend. So as he's currently in the United States tour rank number 11 and what other other rankings, I have no idea because that requires more clicking and then arguing about which ranking systems are the best. And uh, I just want to also then throw out this along those lines. I'll throw out a little bit of a disclaimer and say if I'm ever unfavorably discussing your rating or ranking, it's not because I'm taking that out on you it's because there's too many rankings to keep (laughs) them all in in check so if it sounds like i'm (laughs) dismissing dismissing that's a great word if i'm dismissing a particular ranking it's probably because i don't even remember which ranking it's from and now we can just throw them all up in the air and you pick which one is your favorite one and pick which one is your highest one (laughs) so that you can (laughs) reference it because i'm sure there's going to be plenty of that rob appreciate it Thank, thank you, you for the, so much. Thank you for the super chat, Rob. Hope you're doing well. Oh, he says, speaking of bounce backs, bring back Dynamite. Oh, I had a talk with Dynamite the other day. Did you? Did you tell him that he's missed on the on the? I podcast? did. And uh, we had a lot of great conversation, actually, as I was heading, I believe, from Augusta. or I'm sorry, from Atlanta over to Augusta. So it was before the event. And the only tease that I can throw out there is we came up with a combined. We came up with a pretty clever idea for a segment I should be doing on my uh, disc golf guy channel. And I'm just gonna have to leave it till I someday produce it. Um, (laughs) And that's where I'll leave it. But that's a little bit of a tease. We won't see it for a long time. Yeah, you may not. The best part is it's not um, entirely. It's not fully timely. So whenever it happens, it's going to happen. And it's certainly not sequential. So. Um, but I do think we we came up collectively with a pretty good idea. So looking forward to that. Uh, and uh, it is worth reading since I was just referencing him. Uh, Swimmy Dude, that's the login on the YouTube, says, I helped scored during his rough round two. He was just barely off all round. I can't say beyond what was going on in his head, but he was off by feet he wasn't off by feet. He was off by inches. And as we, we any wooded course, we said it last week. Sometimes it's better to be off by feet than it is inches because you're off by an inch on the fairway and you're going to take a nasty kick. If you're off by a foot, you might hit a tree dead center and just drop. How many times that final round did we see somebody get a kick that ended up right in the middle of the fairway? Yes. I, I, I could not believe some of the luck that, and it wasn't one particular person. It was just, it was a few of them. You're just like, and everyone at home is thinking that never happens to me. Yeah. And then I did see one or two that just went really south. So kicking. Just, <laughs> mm. uh, Joe Henderson's out there saying, catch y'all later. I hope everyone just allows us to be a learning movement and move on from the time. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Joe. Joe, appreciate that. Um, Jonesboro. So we kindly just uh, quickly. Oh, we we did. I, quickly we'll say previewed the mpo but fpo i don't think there's going to be any surprises there it's whatsoever i'm going to quickly characters. yeah normally uh you've got Paige pierce Kristen tatar katrina allen Haley king who's 
hopefully going to be more back in the mix uh, regularly. Missy Gannon, Sarah Holcomb, Jennifer Allen, Alexis Mondahano. So what we're missing there are the Europeans. Well, two of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, we still have... We have Kristen Tatar, but... And Katie Tati. Yep. But, but we don't have Evelina and Henna. Yes. So, um, yeah, they're... I get confused about who's bouncing back and forth for how long and for when and whatnot, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty certain they're um, they've they've now headed back, and I'm sh- sh- we're going to see them again. Yeah, but I, yeah, it, you know, I, I know this is this is like beating a dead horse at this point, but I hope whatever issues putting wise that we're seeing from uh, Evelina and Henna, hopefully they can take this time to. Figure something out. I know it's tough to do that when you're on tour because you don't want to really mess with your mechanics while you're on the pro tour, probably. So hopefully they can take whatever it is. And if there if it is a problem, if it's mental, if it's if it's physical, whatever it is, get it sorted out, get back to the States and uh, and start putting up some really competitive rounds, because that's what everybody was so excited to see coming into the season was, uh, you know, Paige, Kat, Evelina, Henna, Tatar, Gannon, King, like just everybody was excited to see that group of women really, you know, busted out this year. And it kind of has still felt like for a long time, it kind of felt like the cage or the cage, the cat and page show with Tatar kind of still maintaining like third, fourth, second, but not ever really getting to first. Obviously, this weekend is a little bit different with uh, Tatar and page fighting it out, but still page still came out on top. We still have not seen uh, one of the European women take home uh, a victory. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we didn't probably give it its full credit either. And to backtrack just briefly, um, you know, the incredible sportsmanship and just the, just all the feels and, and the, the, I, I, it's so much more than just sportsmanship, the compassion and kindness uh, that page displayed. It's, uh, this weekend and mm-hmm. and and I said it within our camera crew but and I'll, and I'll say it here like it didn't surprise me and that's because I know Paige so well and I've I've seen the competitor she's been all these years nonetheless the gesture is obviously still I- I- incredible um but I as kind and gracious and compassionate as it was I also wasn't surprised by it that's Paige and Not that that that's a really what led me to my actually my first question when she kind of threw me for a loop in in the extra um activity that went down was that's immediately what I thought is I when I when you hear these fierce competitors and whether it's Paige or Cat or Haley or, or really anyone of course you always hear them talking about even when they're the best in the game or one of the best in the game and they win. They always want to beat people playing their best. And I know that's said in a lot of sports, but this was a case where it felt like that happened. And then there was just this one, this letdown. Yeah. One blip on 18. And I, it's, it's too bad. Paige couldn't make it tonight. Um, Cause I did want to ask her the question of, we saw this almost identical thing happen to Paige last year at worlds. The last major we saw Paige faltered on 18. We all saw it. She threw it out of bounds and then she missed the putt and it gave Kat the win. How did it feel being on the other side of that? Watching your competitor hand you a win on yeah. 18. I mean, because we've all said it before. If this hap- if if Tatar does this on the third round, 
there's there's no talk about it. Yeah. If, and if she loses by two strokes, you can't catch up or something. But man, doing it in the final hole in the final round of the final day, it's so devastating to watch. But I w- I was really curious to see to hear Paige's mindset as far as what her emotions were watching this happen to somebody else. Yeah. And, Maybe the next time she's on. And we all know that, you know, she's going to be involved in many battles. And, and really, even as you started to say that, I think back to more so the 2015, the 2015 worlds where oh, that very on. much my memory banks that very much by all accounts felt as if if things continued on pace that that was Sarah Holcomb's world championships. And then Sarah Holcomb, uh, well, trying to get to a course ended up getting in a car accident, showing up to one of her late rounds, uh, late and then being assessed, I think eight penalty strokes page went on to win that worlds by like one or two strokes when it was all said and done. Uh, originally Sarah had a, a significant advantage, um, you know, de- deficit or advantage over page. Yeah. And then after all those penalty strokes and a black eye and everything else and getting in a car accident that turns out, I think she was rear-ended. So presumably not her fault is, I guess, maybe the point. But gets into this car accident and then ends up losing the world championships. Directly due to that, basically. Yeah, and, and I think about Paige accepting the world championship trophy and the acceptance speech and saying, this isn't mine. This is your Sarah. And, you know, Paige is awarded, of course, the world title. She, she ultimately had the, you know, the lesser amount of strokes, but there was just some of those feelings that were conjured up and I get it. This was different. You know, it was, it was not an easy putt by Kristen and the, the set. I'm not getting it twisted. Let me be very clear. Just similar uh, feels, but the feels were still kind of there. This was this to page probably felt like, yes, it was almost handed over and, you know, yeah, that, that, that's what was conjured up in my, in my head. As I say about a lot of things in 10 or 12 years, when we look back at the numbers, there's, n- there's going to be no asterisks. No one's going to, very few people are going to, are, are going to like, well, Paige, remember all the dumb, the, the, the dumb things that I we did. do. Yeah. yeah. Like just, you're not, you know, the, the numbers are the numbers. You know, does anyone remember any weird things about Kenny's championships? You know, oh, so-and-so got poison ivy on, you know, the second to last day. And, you know, they, they had it, the problem or anything weird like that. No, they're just numbers when it comes down to it. So what we feel right now will be completely washed away in five to ten years when everything just becomes a very cold statistic. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> That's why we have historians. Except for I'll like remember you. it, but yeah, yeah. Except that's why we have historians like you, Terry. Uh, I'll remember some of that. Um, something else that I uh, just take a little tangent that I certainly remembered. Uh, believe it or not, some of you may think otherwise. I remembered going live and uh, having a little check in with some of you, some of you same fine folks that are here now. Uh, of course, throughout the years, Johnny and I have done some Smashbox uh, podcast. Uh, namely DDO is sometimes where we would do one per night as kind of a recap and podcast. Uh, and then when Johnny more recently hasn't been along uh, to tour to a lot of the events, and he's been uh, remaining in the Milwaukee control rooms, I sometimes have gone live. Um, 
I've done it quite often, I think, at the USDGC slash the Women's Championships the last couple of years. And then I, uh, I, I kicked it back up for this weekend and ultimately came in for second, third, and fourth round and I, recaps. I heard Kelvin is very frustrated with you because you caused him <laughs> to lose by keeping them up till all hours of the night on your podcast. Is that true? Is that a true statement, Terry Miller? No. Is Oh, okay. Sorry. I was No. You I can't mean, handle the truth. <laughs> we we could we could uh make a joke about that being a possibility, but no. He No, I know. Uh Calvin is a relatively early uh he retires a little bit earlier than I do most nights. And but he graciously joined me. And then I had an, an Incredible conversation with both him and Zach the next night uh, before I went live actually on Sunday night. And uh, yeah, there's some things in the works. We got some good ideas to maybe make this a little bit more recurring. And so it's not always just me <laughs> blathering on and maybe we could do uh, a little bit more in it. Uh, yeah. I interaction. Ha- um, I, I, in a conversation with my wife, I kind of let it slip that I was like, you know, I'm thinking about going to DDO. Because we do everything remotely these days, it doesn't no. matter where I am. So, and she wasn't opposed to this. To uh, <laughs> she didn't shoot it down. Not that I think she loved the situation, but she understands. Because she even said, "That's the one you really like to go to, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it really is." So, I, I, I can't say for sure if I'm going or not, but it, it's it's kind of marinating in there in the back of my brain. All right. So, uh, look for more of those. Uh, one way or another, uh, they're always going to be dependent, honestly, on hotel internet connection. If I don't have that, well, I will say this the last night. Uh, it went from green bars, which was decent internet connection, down to one red bar, and it remained there the entire... I've never gone back to look at it, so I'm guessing it's a little bit fuzzy, and I, I think... It's so been, were you, I heard. <laughs> it's been requested <laughs> that these become uh, somewhat of an audio version as well. And I, I think that's uh, that's something that, that could very quickly and easily be done. So We, we could do that. We could, uh, if you give me MP3 files, I could put that up on, on, some, on the Smashbox podcast. Or we could repurpose. We still have Smashbox Unsanctioned, which was oh, the yeah. old talk show. We could use that as your separate audio feed. But either way, we'll we'll figure we'll definitely figure something out. Yes. So uh, appreciate you guys for joining in and uh, playing along with that silliness uh, on some of those nights. Should we wrap this up and get into some after show? It is what is it? It's almost eleven o'clock. Holy here. cow! It looks like it's time, and I've got I've got thirteen thousand my disc in a box boxes to pick up tomorrow. Ooh, yeah. It's I've got it's a whole uh, vanful tomorrow morning. I've got a. a a friend, Jason Sanfilippo, who's a disc golfer, coming over to the house to, to do some more work on a patio, as well as uh, somebody to take a look at my boiler. So, you know, that's all going to be at 8 a.m. Lucky, mm. lucky me. So we're getting up. Early. Sounds hot. We're getting. <laughs> getting. <laughs> really? Uh, that's what you went with. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it was an easy one. It was. Low-hanging fruit. We want to say thank you to all of the pdga champions cup staff and crew we know they work tirelessly uh bush now that presenting the presenting sponsor uh, along with rec tech and in you know dynamic disc La- uh, latitude 64 west side i know they were all big huge supporters and sponsors disc golf network 
partnering up and and helping present this major in the way they did, along with all the post production companies. And uh, you know, I'll extend the thanks because I never really got a chance to Ian and Philo and and then Ian and Elaine all in the booth. Um, it was a lot of fun to to do what I could to bring you some sideline stuff, but just the fact that we were here and and being able to present this major. Uh, I thought was was pretty historic in its own right. So thank you to everyone that tuned in and was part of it in any capacity and and enjoyed themselves with it for this weekend. The whole control room, um, you know, doing what they did. These are some long days uh, to present, you know, two, four, four and a half hour rounds, um, you know, back to back. They make for really long days out there. So the camera crew, <laughs> namely working so, physically harder than anyone else out there. Yep. Uh, and, a, and a big tip of the hat to all of them. I, I'm still amazed always at the DGN camera crew. They're, they are phenomenal. And I'll go, I'll go on record and say, I think they're the best camera crew in the sport. So. Yeah, they're it's, uh, just absolutely incredible. So thank you to Elaine for joining us. Um, as she said, wait, just. Tulsa says gives a hundred dollar super chat. Good what? job tonight, fellas. Not an easy night. Really appreciate that. Oh, thank you so very, very. That's much. very kind. Wow, thank you. Um, you really appreciate Elaine. I, I, you know, in all transparency, I just I reached out to her today. Said, hey, we'd love to give you a platform if you want to state your case, if you want to state uh, your position, your reason, your logic. We want the world to at least hear those details. And uh, she, of course, you know, wanted to make sure that she was going through all the right and proper channels to be able to join us. And when it was all said and done, um, you know, she took the the bold move to then, you know, sit here and face a few of the questions. Uh, we hope that everyone got what you needed to hear from her. You can still make your own decisions. Um, but we really appreciate Elaine for, for stepping in and, and having those conversations with us uh, regardless. So, I'm sure that'll be the end of it all. Yes. It's officially <laughs> now out of uh, disc golf conversation forever or not. I'm sure you'll be posting about it tomorrow for Johnny V and myself. I hope so. And do and tag Smashbox. When you this do. has been Smashbox <laughs> TV episode 399. We're about to have an after show in our 399th episode. So make sure you stick around for that. We'll read more off the board. Uh, we'll answer your questions. We'll get into topics that may or may not be disc golf related, but thank you for joining us. We'll see you in a moment when you step inside the Smashbox. Thank you to our $2 and above patrons. Your name is listed below in the credits. If you are interested in being listed as a producer in the Smashbox TV credits and supporting this and other fine podcasts, please visit patreon.com slash smashbox TV. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 